Hey, my name is Sharika Hallaludin, and I'm the executive producer of Race Matters on FBI Radio. It's a real honor to be sharing this extra episode with you here, but before you delve in, I just wanted to offer a few words. I'm recording this on December 5, 2003, as the ongoing catastrophe, ethnic cleansing and genocide continues upon Gaza, Palestine. We've come out of a four-day supposed ceasefire and the amount of lives lost in Palestine, many of whom are children, continues to rise into the tens of thousands. In so-called Australia, our media remains complicit in this genocide and our governments have proved useless, continuing to collude with the violent imperial forces of the US and Israel. The talk you'll hear today was recorded on the 26th of October 2003. And while some of the conversation speaks to that moment in time, honestly, all of it feels relevant to the ongoing fight for the freedom of Palestine and to the occupation and how we are reckoning with an unprecedented amount of grief, loss, anger and so much more. This is a recording of Gadigal to Gaza. Resistance until liberation held at the Red Rattler Theatre as part of the Red Rattler's arts program Future Communities created by Queen G and Dr Vivian Lindsay. Recorded on the stolen, unceded and sacred Wangal clan lads of the Gadigal Nation and hosted by the Autonomous Collective Against Racism and the Black Caucus. You're going to be hearing from Lizzie Jarrett, Rand Khatib, Mariki Onis, Ethan Lyons, Lana Tatur, Randa Abdel Fattah, and Amal Nasa. Together they form a chorus of Black and Palestinian activists, speaking to how anti colonial resistance, now more than ever, is deeply important and the solidarities between communities are crucial to paving the way forward. This talk is as much as a panel as it is a compelling call to action. We hope it instills within you the hope, momentum and tangible ways to show up for First Nations peoples from Gadigal to Gaza. From the river to the sea, until we are all free. This is Gadigal to Gaza, live at the Red Rattler. Again, you Jawan, in the language of my Gumbangi people. Hello, everyone. Firstly, thank you for coming tonight, stepping out of the rain for this essential event. Um, firstly, following cultural protocols, my name is Lucy Jarrett. I'm a proud Gumbangi, Bunjalung, and Dungari woman. So tonight, I'll give you an acknowledgement to country because I cannot welcome you to a country that's not mine. So I'd like to acknowledge tonight that we sit here on the land of the Gadigal people. I'd like to pay my respects to their elders, past and present. And then you might hear this sort of acknowledgement and think, that's it, not when it comes to me. Tonight you're going to acknowledge that where we sit right now is only a few kilometres, a few suburbs from Kamei Bay where the first bombs, bullets, the genocide of our First Nations people started and is still happening today as we sit. 
So tonight's event of solidarity with our beautiful Palestinian siblings is, as I said, the essential. So give my respects to all First Nations mobs here. Thank you, my mob. All First Nations in the back. But also give my deepest respect, condolences, shoulders, hearts, minds, ears, everything we have as a human being to our Palestinian brothers and sisters that are across the world right now that are facing something that we, we have the privilege to speak about. At the moment, their voices aren't, aren't heard, aren't seen. So I'm very grateful for the brightest light, believe it or not, although it's killing us, but the brightest light. So we are to be seen for the unseen we are to be the voices tonight for the voiceless. So thank you again for coming. Respects to all non-Indigenous people and allies that are true to the cause, that are true to the struggles, that always show up for us. So yes, please understand, acknowledgement to country is not just saying I acknowledge elders past and present. It's acknowledging the fact that we're alive and we're breathing and we're on sacred stolen land today. Thank you. I have to do a little bit of... Oh. Ah, it's okay, please. No, but yeah, thanks anyway. But yeah, a little bit of housekeeping, guys, just to make sure everyone understands the space. This is called the Red Rattler. Bathrooms are both sides. They're unisex bathrooms. The more masculine urinals on that side. The seated toilets are on that side. But in this space, we respect human beings. So don't walk into a toilet and be an arsehole. Okay, thanks. Right. Um, what else? I've got a couple of notes to make sure. Yep. Yes, the very important note right now. Everybody has a phone and social media. Guess what? This event's not for that. We ask you on behalf of all of us here and on behalf of people in the audience, there is to be no recording, no photos, no live streaming from your devices. We have professional photographers here and cinematographers to do our event. This is to make sure that our event is actually a safe space and not welcome for online trolls. So please, if I do see you or any one of our staff that do um, manage the floor here see you with the phone, you will be asked politely to turn it off. So please respect us in that, respect the idea that we need a safe space to have these conversations. Uh, da, 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 da. What else? Ah, of course, the most important thing. The space tonight is, you know, prioritising the voices of First Nations and the Palestinian siblings in solidarity. So if at all you're here tonight to try and be a troll or to try and pop off with your personal agenda or if right now hearing my voice speaking on this makes you feel uncomfortable, you know where the door is. And I say that and I mean that. You will be asked to leave by the people sitting around you because understand we are here for one reason, that's to show respect and solidarity and give a safe space. If you are not here for that, get the fuck out. And yes, I will use French English because they took my tongue and colonised my voice. Yeah, that'll do for now. Anyway, yeah, my name's Lizzie Jarrett. I'm the co-chair this evening. I'm a member of the Black Caucus. Um, my beautiful sister here, Ren, is a co-chair. So I'm going to pass it over to her to say a couple of words and you'll hear from me again soon. Thank you again for coming. Assalamu alaikum to anyone who speaks Arabic. Um, um, my name is Rand, in Arabic it's Rand, I'm okay with either. Um, I convene the Autonomous Collective Against Racism and I've had the privilege to work alongside the Black Caucus quite closely. 
Um, so I just want to thank you all for being here tonight. Um, it feels weird to say thank you because it's, you know, it's an act of solidarity and quite literally one of the worst times in our lives, at least in, in my life. Um, I was born in Palestine and um, I grew up there as a Palestinian with Israeli citizenship. Um, they like to call us Arab Israelis, but of course we're not, we're Palestinian. Um, I came here as a young child. Uh, I lived through the second intifada in, in Palestine, in Palestine. And I came here as a young child where um, basically was thrown into the education system um, in, in another colonised land. And so it's not a coincidence at all that, um, yeah, that the land that I'm from and that I escaped violence from, my family escaped violence from there, um, this land here was born on that sort of violence. So um, I pay respects to the fact that we're all meeting on unceded lands here today. Um, so we've got some really wonderful speakers here tonight. Um, I've got three Palestinian sisters on my side here. Um, and I've got um, two First Nations uh, lovely people on my side, on that other side. Um, so I'm going to pass it on to Mariki first and foremost. Um, I'll allow you to introduce yourself because I think there's a lot of power in introducing yourself and no one does a better job. So I'll pass it on to you, Mariki. Thank you, Rand. Um, before I introduce myself, I too want to acknowledge country, um, the land of the Gadigal people and also the neighbouring nations. Um, and thank you, Lizzie, for the welcome as well and for having me here. Um, I, I'm Ganai and Gunditjmara uh, from um, so-called Victoria. I grew up in Nam and done most of my protest work around Invasion Day, Black Lives Matter, and I recently moved up here. And I um, just want to say that me moving here and the way that I move in this space and this new city, um, I'm, I'm in service to the local black followers here and the local struggle of the local blackfellas here. Um, and so, you know, I, want, I'm, I feel very privileged to be up here and invited to speak. So thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, I mean... Uh, this week, uh, I think, has been really difficult for everyone in this room anyone with a little bit of humanity. Um, but I just want to particularly acknowledge how hard it's been for, for our, um, our Palestinian, Palestinian siblings. Um, you know, you're here in the physical, but I'm sure your hearts and minds are over in Palestine. Um, you know, and it is and always will be Palestine to me um, and I'll never call it anything else. Uh, I've been witnessing, you know, I think this all came about right before around the time of the referendum and the referendum, that process, regardless of what you, uh, whatever you voted for, um, a week after um, the war started or this war, this, uh, I, I don't know if you call it a battle or a war, it's been 75 years, I'll acknowledge, but it's been intensified um, in October. Um and we had Australia vote no to us, regardless of whether you, whatever you, wherever you stand on the issue, um, 
this nation said no to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, and that whether you wanted, you know, progressive no or not, that hurt a lot of us. And um, I think there was no time to even think about that. It was immediately um, turning our eyes to what's happening in Palestine straight away. I mean, it was, you know, a, a little bit of grief, a little bit of pain over what's happened. And then it was most, for most black followers, it was immediately... We want to do a protest with Palestinian mob. We want to do organising with Palestinian mob. Um, and I think that's a beautiful testament to the relationships that we've grown. And I think that's something that we have to continue on and beyond um, and strengthen. And I think that the solidarity that we all grow between each other is our strength and that these power structures, they're losing the narrative and there's been a shift in um, conscious conscience, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say there, but there has been a notable shift for me watching the uh, masses of people around the world show their solidarity for Palestinian people um, and so they're losing the narrative, uh, uh, Israel. I, I do want to say it felt like watching my mob get massacred I, I, and I was really, I, I felt like this must have been what it was like um, in the Umarella Wars when we were massacred. I don't know if that's seen as selfish, but I, I was that it's the f same framework. Um, it's the same dehumanisation. I grew up on a mission, um, an Aboriginal mission. We were rounded up on concentration camps. We had our water, our electricity, our land. We had everything controlled by the colonisers. And it's the same framework. Um, and I'm, we're just watching, you know, I, I don't want to get graphic because I know that we've all seen it um, and I'll let, you know, I, I, whatever. I, I just don't feel comfortable in doing that right now. I will say, you know, the common links that we have, they are the same colonisers and we've seen um, the Australian government double down on support for Israel, um, which I, I, I'm in disgust of and I encourage each and every single person to email, phone call, exhaust every single option that you have at your fingertips to make sure that the um, decision makers uh, pull their support from Israel. Um, and that's the work that we have to do. I will say that G4S, I believe, are the present, the company. G4S are responsible for many deaths in custody in Australia, um, and particularly my own family. Um, in 2021, I had a family member die in custody at the hands of G4S. Um, and so, you know, it's such a real, you know, we know, we know. We know the, the framing. We know the dehumanisation by their media, the Western media, the Western powers. It's, it's the same playbook. And I'm, it's so grotesque and shocking to watch, but it's, it's, it hasn't changed. They're using the same playbook. They're using the same mechanisms. Uh, and, you know, anyway, I think I've made that point. I will say that, you know, our struggle is ongoing. Um, we are not in the frontier wars. However, we ha are having our family members slaughtered in prisons. Our families have been taken off. The children have been removed. Um, those are acts of colonialism. Those are to disempower us and dispossess us from who we are 
in our identity and our kinship and country and those are acts of colonialism that we still experience today and also land theft and destruction. Um, I, sorry, I only just jumped in at the last minute to um, jump in for Linda June Co. Um, so I haven't had a lot of time to prepare but I will absolutely take the time to show solidarity with Palestinian people. Um, I just want to say and I want to elevate the calls to action as well um, that, you know, Australia must... This is something that we must... I don't want this to be a talk fest. I don't like panels generally, but I am an... I like to do activism and I do organising. Do not let this be something that you've... We've had all of us be dragged out here for nothing. Please, when you have the moment, contact... Penny Wong, contact your local decision makers to have them withdraw support from Israel. Can I get, please, a commitment from everybody at the bare minimum to do that? Yes. Must demand them to cut ties with Israel, end the siege, cease fire, um, and I think that's the most of the demands, but... Please don't make this just to be another talk fest. We have to movement build. We have to talk to people. These are the times that we lean in on each other um, and, you know, our communities. Um, I think I will end on uh, hope. I am, I think this is beautiful that this is a packed house. Um, I think it's beautiful that we come together and share our solidarity and, you know, Palestinian communities in so-called Australia so, shows so much respect and solidarity with us mob and I really admire that and you can, you know, and, and I think it's because our struggles are tied in the way that we're colonised by the same Western powers and in the same frameworks and so it's very easy to, for us to talk. So I think that's a real beautiful reflection. I think it's amazing how the world have, you know, Israel have lost the public opinion and we have to keep on top of that, keep elevating Palestinian voices and their demands and keep sharing what they're saying because it's working. I mean, you know, it's, it's people are turning on Israel. And if we can get people to turn on Israel and hold the policy makers to account, then hopefully Australia can pull out. At least we have to try. Um, I think I'll leave it there. I think there, um, you know, there'll be some amazing reflections tonight. I just want to send my solidarity to the Sydney Blackfellas here, the Gadigal mob, um, the Black Caucus. Um, you know, I work in, you know, I see myself as a newcomer to Sydney in service to the local black struggle. Um, and also my solidarity to the Palestinian mob. There is a protest this weekend. We have to keep coming out um, and showing up. I know you see what I see. I know you see what I see. That is some of the worst things that I've ever seen in my lifetime. And ask yourself, what, you know, what will you tell your grandchildren when we reflect back on this time? Don't leave anything in the tank. This has to be, this has to be about all of us. And let's stand together and support Palestinians in this struggle. Anyway, um, thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Mariki. Um, yeah, just that shared shared feelings and solidarity and, you know, how you mentioned that you feel like it's happening to your people in the same 
same way. That's that really hit home. Yeah. Um, I'd like to pass it on to Randa Randa Abdel Fattah. Uh, Randa is an author, a Palestinian author, and I know you've had some experiences with the media. Would you like to quickly share about that after you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, is it working? Um, thank you so much for having me here today. I want to acknowledge that we're on unceded land. I want to acknowledge as a, the daughter of a dispossessed Palestinian that I am on Gadigal country and I want to thank you humbly. I've been thinking a lot about acknowledgements lately because I work at Macquarie University, so I'm in the academy and nobody loves acknowledgements more than white academics. <laughs> and... The only people that reached out was the Indigenous Department and they sent me a care package which made me weep and told me if I ever need a space to go to because of the violence of the colony that I would always be welcome there. And what made me weep was that they sent that on the Monday after the referendum and it just touched me so much that in the middle of their um bearable pain that they were still thinking about me. And I think a lot about solidarity as a settler. And I see my role as, as a mother, as an academic, as a, a writer and somebody who's intimately connected with the Muslim community. Um, my mother just retired as a school principal at an Islamic school. So she would always smuggle me into the school to indoctrinate the kids <laughs> and run classes about solidarity as settlers and counter histories to the crap that they were learning. And one of the things I understood having grown up and, and in the context of the war on terror was the seduction to people of colour of this myth of Australia as this liberal, multicultural, tolerant society. The seduction of it and the fear of not embracing it because the consequences would be that you are un-Australian. And in a context of the war on terror where being seen as un-Australian was seen as a conveyor belt to radicalisation, literally in terms of legislation, there was a whole infrastructure there that meant that a lot of Muslims, a lot of Arabs, a lot of people of colour had to really align themselves with the settler state in order to feel safe. And the thing is, I never ever feel safe in this country except when I'm around Indigenous people. And I can say that from my heart. I can let my guard down. I don't feel I have to prove anything. I feel safe and I wish more and more people in our community, Muslim community, Arab communities understood that they don't have to work so hard for colonial recognition. And I know what you were saying about how the referendum happened and then Gaza and it pulled attention away. But everything happens for a reason, I believe, and one of the strongest things I think that came out of that was to expose in glaring lights what really was at the heart of this, this government, which is an absolute contempt for Indigenous life. And so we didn't have to go through any bullshit and analyse anything because they literally lit up colonial buildings in the flag of a coloniser. 
So they did the work for all those people who were going to spend ages writing op-eds, analysing. They just showed everything and, play, and showed their true colours. In terms of my own work leading up to the referendum, when, when the bombs started in Gaza, it was a few days before and I was having fights with so many family members and people in my community who wanted to vote no because of lack of education or, oh, I heard that Lydia Thorpe's voting no, so I should vote no or, you know, but it's not really, uh, you know, going to give them any power and just having to do so much education around the fact that as a settler you didn't have the right to vote no because a, a vote of no as a settler would empower the racist no. no matter, and, the, and that they did not have the privilege of making a decision to say no in the same way that an Indigenous person did. And that's how I see my role as, um, as, as a Muslim, as a Palestinian, as a, a, and the daughter of an Egyptian, that I need to work with my community in really raising consciousness. Last thing I want to say is about the last two weeks, just witnessing what's happening, um, especially as a mother of four children. I don't really know how anyone can function. I drive to work and then I drive back. I go into the office and I just stare at the screen and I wonder how are people functioning? And I bumped into um, someone that I go to the gym with and I haven't been in like three weeks um, because before that I was doing a bit of organising and... She was very. She was one of the very lovely person and very bubbly. And she said, "Oh, where have you been? We missed you." And before I knew it, the words automatically came out. And I said, "I've, I've been in Gaza." And then I corrected myself. I mean, I said, oh, "I mean, I've been working around Gaza," and I and I felt literally that I have been there. It's visceral, and I didn't know what sort of like the supermarket aisle explanation is for when you are in the diaspora and your homeland is being carpet bombed, like. We talk about multiculturalism. We have these bullshit harmony days because they love our food and dress, but they do not know how to reconcile that we are here and our homelands are being destroyed with their permission and encouragement. And that is the multiculturalism that they will not address or care about. And this is a kind of space where I don't know if I, I'm an organiser and activist too, and I hate talk fests. And so I always think, how can I translate all of this into action? So my promise to you is I'll continue to work in our communities against colonial recognition because they are so scared of this happening. They are so scared of black Palestinian solidarity. It scares the shit out of them, especially because Zionists are embedded in Indigenous communities and like to showcase themselves as progressives. And this is really terrifying to them because they lose they lose credibility and, and we are disrupting their bullshit by coming together. Thank you, beautiful sister. Ah, uh, yeah, just, well, like, thank you for knowing that you are safe with us. And my pledge to you, all of you, and any other Palestinian siblings, any other First Nations struggles in this room, is you will always be safe with me. Always. So thank you, sister, for, like, you know, pointing out the fact of the true solidarity of humanity, of how to hold a safe space for people in their most dire times in life. As a beautiful sister said right now, what will you tell your grandchildren? 
But thinking of that, what about the poor grandchildren right now that are being bombed? What about the mothers, the fathers, and all them beautiful brothers and sisters we have across the seas that have now already lost their life and have no legacy of grandchildren to talk about? So think about that when we think about our privilege of simple breath right now. So to know that you feel safe with us is so humbling, so humbling, because I fully respect right now as a black woman that walks these streets loud and proud, no matter where I go, the moments of feeling unsafe, which happens every day as soon as we open our eyes. And at last, that feeling lasts in our life every fucking day, every step, every breath. So if you are here right now as a non-Indigenous ally, please respect your privilege. Because right now I am speaking as a privileged person and it's hard for a black woman to say I'm stepping as a privilege, but I am. Because right now voices are not being heard. So as Sister said, tonight you will be told to go to action. We are not here just to talk. If I, if I wanted to talk, I can be at home and talk to my fucking self, Right? So we're here to make sure you come, you listen, but you put literally what we call, put your body on the line as one of us. Use your platforms, use your social media, educate your neighbourhoods, educate, talk to your fucking Uber driver, anyone, anyone that will give you an ear. Start putting the word out there that you will not accept the Australian government, the government that you vote for, that calls you a citizen, that gives you your human rights to live, breathe, work, eat, things that have been taken away from our siblings across the seas right now. So make sure tonight that you understand we're not here to talk to you. Like, yeah, hear our words, but are you listening? Are you actually listening? Are you going to take it back there tonight and you're going to do what we've asked you to do? Because if you're not, then what are you doing here? This space, this, we've called you to a space to listen, but it's a call to action. And understand every time that the Black Caucus call you or the Palestinian brothers and sisters call you, it is your call to action. We are your generals. You are our soldiers. So it's time for us to give the Australian government a kick in the ass and tell them to remove the boots on the ground they're sending over there to help fucking kill innocent people. Australia to our First Nations is Israel to Palestine. That's how our solidarity works. So if you want to be an Australian citizen, check yourself. Do what we need you to do. Get out there and make sure you email, you hound, you talk, you ring, you do whatever you do to your local members, to Penny Wong, to, to Albanese himself. Because... Um, yeah, my nephew, he'll talk about it in a minute, but everybody understands that, you know, Albanese used to be in the streets singing out Free Palestine. Shame! And now he sends bodies over there to help fucking kill people. Yeah, so let's give it to him. Let's pull him back to where, what, you're going to start some revolutionary shit when you're a little teenager uni student thinking you're going to win friends? about saying, you know, free Gaza, free Palestine. Yeah. Right? So I want to make sure each and every single one of you before you leave here tonight, there's a QR code, some, thank you, back table. 
I expect to see how many, I'll check the registry tickets too. <laughs> right? People know what I'm like. Like when you come to me, you got to be real, you got to be family or get the fuck out. Because I don't have time. We don't have time. We are dedicating our time and our livelihood now to make sure that we need you. So if you're here to appease your privilege and pat yourself on the back, please go home. But if you're here to listen and do what we need you to do, go and join that QR code so you can be on our emailing list so we can come together as a fucking, look how many people are here tonight. We're bringing humanity back to the space. We're letting this government know that no, we will not sit silently as the people who vote you into power to allow you to take that power to kill innocent people, to allow you to take that power and like, you know, like the whole referendum crap, you know, I didn't vote at all. Because the fact of what was my 1%, let's understand the black people that really got to vote were less than 1%. Most of us are locked up underage. So what was less than 1% going to do? And to know that so many people out there were, you know, saying no and then all of a sudden Australia right now comes to the colourful front force of saying let's go and fucking align ourselves with Israel. So what sort of chance of any fucking voice did we really have? They weren't going to listen to us on the ground here. So now we're going to make sure they fucking listen, yeah? Yeah. Right. Now, before we let another beautiful speaker, because a Palestinian speaker spoke, I just got to know a little, make sure I do see it properly. If you can see a painting at the front, everybody. Right. Anyone who doesn't know that beautiful sister girl in that painting, her name is Candy Royale. Yeah. People who do know, make some noise. Thank you. All right. I'll make sure I do it properly now. Wait there. The artist of this beautiful painting is named Patch Sinclair and it was done in 2017. A community icon named Benji Ra um, delivered this to the rat three days before this all kicked off. Three days. So, you know, if you're black and, 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 and you're spiritual, you believe in signs and shit from the ancestors. So this come to us three days before. And, uh, yeah, for those who don't know, Candy Royale is now a cherished ancestor. She lost her battle with cancer. Oh, I'm shaking here. But, yeah. One of a kind human being. Anyway. And she held space for anyone, everyone, and many, many are gathering right here for safety, for community. And she was a proud, 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 proud Palestinian queer. So understand that struggle. The struggles of being queer is a struggle on its own. Struggles of being Palestinian, put them both on the front line. That sister went through a lot. But she still made sure she had shoulders, she had arms, and she had heart for community. And she's very missed in this space. But, yeah, um, she was a fierce activist for Palestine, naturally. She was a spoken word artist. And she left us all that knew her with a legacy of love. She used every platform 
possible to raise the voices specifically and especially for women of colour that don't get enough. And Candy, my sister, your spirit will always be with us. I'll leave you a special quote that Candy left us with. Loving instead of hating. Living instead of waiting. So, yeah, it's like, you know, the, rel- the, the yeah, it's just important that we respect this beautiful sister because she was a fierce fighter. And I know her spirit's here tonight looking over all the other Palestinian siblings. So, yeah, I just had to make sure we had to make a mention for our beautiful ancestor sisters no longer with us. Thank you for listening to that. Um, who's next? Oh, this way or this way? This way. Okay. Okay, you can introduce yourself this time. Nah. Well, we've got a dedicated young warrior, right? And it's really a hard struggle to be a young black man and be a warrior out there. Because you know why? The black mums are warriors at home. Is he going to come home alive? So please respect my beautiful nephew here and you can do the rest of it, my boy, Ethan. Um, Yeah, thanks, Aunt. Always giving me the best introductions. Um, My name is Ethan. I'm a proud Wiradjuri um, activist and organiser and a member of the Black Caucus. my family have been in Sydney, particularly Redfern, organising for decades. Um, my auntie Jenny Munro um, is a staunch activist and organiser and, you know, my work and what I do here um, is not something I just do for myself. It's building the legacy um, of those ancestors. So when we talk about solidarity, um, especially Palestinian and black solidarity, it's not a bandwagon or a trend that us blackfellas jump on, it's us continuing the solidarity and holding the legacy of our Palestinian and First Nations relationships that have been here in Sydney and across Australia for decades. So um, what you see here tonight isn't new. It's been here for decades. It's been um, a relationship between the colonised people. Um, and, yeah, I just want to make that really clear. Um, so that's me. Something about me, if you know me, if you've heard me speak, is that I like to take a bunch of notes and then ramble and get through it. And I know she's laughing because she always makes jokes about it. Um, I I do have a point that I will get to, um, but I will ramble through my notes. And I do want to acknowledge Gadigal country and the territory surrounding us. Um, But I feel like, as we've kind of spoke about, acknowledgement of countries, I personally feel they have this really grounded feeling in history and past and something that has already gone. Um, And I think a really important part of acknowledging country is to frame that in a present context. First Nations people are still here, we're still thriving, and our resistance is still thriving. So if we're going to acknowledge country and the resistance that got us to meet on these lands, we also have to acknowledge the current resistance that is still happening against the colonial state because... The idea that colonialism is ended or is some concept of the past is factually incorrect. Um, So I think, yeah, changing the conversation around that is really important. I, I, yeah, I'm, I guess, something I've been reflecting on a lot in this kind of heat of the moment, or not heat of the moment, but current discussion, um, is language. I think language is really important how we portray struggle. 
the terminology of war or conflict we know for Palestinians is not correct. It is an ongoing genocide. And we're going to call it what it is. It is mass murder. It's genocide. It's ethnic cleansing. And that's the reality of it. It's not a war. It's not a conflict. It's one of the biggest militaries killing innocent people. So in, I guess, a black context, um, Australia has always portrayed First Nations people as the problem. Um, We're the ones that need to be saved or we're the ones that... I guess that's the colonial narrative that the Indigenous people have to be saved. But in, I guess, our context, it's always the Aboriginal problem that has to be solved, the drinking, the drugs, the violence. Um, And I think that is very similar to the way that we shape the Palestinian struggle of a war or a conflict. It's a problem on both sides. It's not a one-sided thing. Um, So I think when we have these discussions, we're actually saying it how it is. We're saying that it's not Aboriginal people that are the problem. It is the colonial occupation that continues to marginalise and oppress First Nations people. It's it's Israel that is killing um, and oppressing Palestinians. It's not some, like, two-sided problem. Um, And, yeah, that's something I've been really big on is changing the language um, because if we maintain these kind of stereotypes and these languages that aren't like our own, what am I trying to say? I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, these kind of dichotomies aren't giving, aren't created by ourselves. It's given by Israel. It's given by Australia. It's given by the colonial occupation saying, oh yeah, you know, that's a problem. That's a genocide. That, that's a war. That's a conflict. And you know, they're very sneaky through media and through um, politics and framing the conversation that way. And I think it's really important to uh, challenge that. Yeah, and speaking about, I guess, solidarity, um, I've gotten a lot of social media response being like, you know, we're, we stand with Palestine, but how dare you uh, rep, uh, what's the word, compare First Nations struggle to Palestine? How dare you? Uh, put that on the same level. And that is not only an intellectually false argument to make, it is um, just factually wrong. It's historically wrong. Um, Although our colonization and genocide happened 200-something years ago, we're still facing blackness in custody. We're still seeing 16-year-old boys being killed. Uh, It was only last year that Cassius Turvey died I'm at the hands of racists. And it was only two weeks ago, um, or a week ago, that a 16-year-old boy was killed in custody. And the distinction I do want to make is that what's happening in Palestine is a very confronting and the most, uh, the lengthiest, I guess, representation of the colonial pursuit to kill out First Nations people and um, Indigenous people. And what we see in Australia is that they tried doing that 200 years ago um, and it hasn't stopped. They've only had to become more sneaky, um, more conspicuous about it. Um, and that's why we see, you know, Tanya Plibersek uh, accept um, coal and gas projects. That's why we see First Nations kids being locked up as young as 10 and killed in prison. It's because they can't commit a mass genocide against us like they are in Palestine. They can commit small, suspicious, conspicuous um, acts of genocide. Um, and, yeah, I when I talked to Ron before, I was like, I don't want to make it really heavy and, like, sad, but um, 
I guess that is kind of the reality um, of it. <laughs> um, my last three points before I get to my actual um, point of being here um, is also, I guess, on the point of, like, um, Australia having the same tactics as um, Israel. Um, the same police strategy that was used to kill David Dungay, um, the knee on his neck, was a tactic trained uh, by Israeli soldiers. So the argument that there's no parallel between First Nations people and Palestinians is wrong. Uh, IDF soldiers are training Australian soldiers how to kill um, oppressed groups. And that isn't some conspiracy, that is a documented reality. Annie Lizzie, you mentioned um, like grandchildren and the role of like generations following not only uh, this, but since the first Nakba, like the generations that are going to have to continue with not only the threat of the Israeli settler state, but the intergenerational effects that has. Um, and also in Australia, how, you know, young mob um, are still being locked up at 10, they're still under the threat and the forces and the boot of colonialism in Australia. And um, my sister, Jazz Money, I don't know if you know her, but um, she's a beautiful Wiradjuri poet um, and a close friend. And I hope she's not here in the crowd because I did message her asking for permission to read her poem, but she didn't reply. <laughs> so I hope I don't get cancelled. Um, <laughs> I'm glad there's no filming because I was, you know. Um, she has this really beautiful poem called If I Write a Poem. Um, I'll read it. Um, you can pretend that I wrote it, but um, <laughs> I'm going to give my breakdown kind of how, why, why I thought about reading this poem um, when I was asked to, you know, talk. Oh, yeah, my legs are going flying. When I was asked to talk, I was like, I think I'm just so overwhelmed with everything that it's kind of hard to put um, your feelings into words, especially as uh, First Nations and Palestinian people. So as we do as mob, we reflect on the stories and experiences that have already been um, told and we reflect on those. So this is her poem. Um, okay. <clears throat> if I write a poem, it's for the pen bent from my grandmother's hands. And if I write, it's for a language stolen from the mouths of babies in cribs. And if I write a poem, it's so that our children will read some truth of their family. And if I write, it's because our story hasn't been written by us for us. And if I write, it's because I hate the structure, the capitalism, the greed, the fury. I write a poem because I love this country. I write a word because I love my daughter who isn't yet born. I write because there is no truth yet, no justice. And if I write a poem, it's because my mother can't understand why I wave into the soil, but she cries with me all the same. And if I write, it's because I love a country, and others do, and cannot write about their love. And if I write a word, it's to stop me from burning within. It is to stop me from burning the city down and burying my breast, wailing with my clapsticks, a song that boils in my chest, in my soul, that no one has taught me the words to yet. So that's just money. Um, yeah. <laughs> My notes went flying. Oh, it's under my leg. Um, so I'm no spoken word poet, but 
did that resonate with people in this context? Um, yeah. I think we get lost, not get lost, but get distracted in the reality of things. And as much as I think that's really important to come to terms with the present and work out and organize and resist, I think it's really important to consider young people and the generational role or the generational impact of colonialism and settler oppression on First Nations people. And what resonated with me about that poem was, um, first, it's just my favorite poem and I wanted to read it to everyone, but um, something I think Jasmine explores is like, there's so much pain. Uh, her grandmother doesn't know English and can't write. Um, her country is being destroyed. She has this really uh, dark depiction of her struggle, but she kind of, I sound like such a freak. Um, she like juxtaposes it with um, like liberation and uh, culture and joy and healing. And something that the Black Caucus have been doing is holding spaces that aren't, aren't um, just encapsulated by the reality of things. I think, you know, we held a healing space. We were, um, we followed our protocol. We had a smoking ceremony. We have these yarning circles because as much as, I guess, we want to resist our, um, occupation and liberate ourselves, that is a long-term thing that we've been trying to do and we continue to do. But it's important that we have to sustain ourselves and, you know, connect, connect back to what our elders have been doing for generations. So, yeah, she shares this, you know, really beautiful message about, um, I guess, you know, in the darkness and the greed and the pain and everything that uh, colonialism offers, um, she still has this hope and this cultural sense of healing. And I think that's really important, um, not only for everyone to understand, but I guess in our solidarity, um, it's not, as I said at the start, based in um, trying to be the faces or trying to be jumping on the bandwagon, but it's actually really deep uh, spiritual and cultural connection that our solidarity is founded on. It's founded on healing. It's founded on uh, cultural protocols that, you know, we have to join together and we have to heal together. And I think, you know, that's why I love our solidarity. I think that's why I've, like, worked in movements and spaces and it's felt, like, uh, not unsafe, but I guess I... I've, like, moved on and been like, okay, that was that. But I just feel such a deep intrinsic connection to the solidarity and the building and community between First Nations and Palestinian people. And I guess that's what Jasmine speaks of. It's about, you know, acknowledging the pain and struggle, but um, not seeing it at just that face. It's seeing it at the deep connections of healing and community um, that come with that. Yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs> um, also, Albanese is a dumb dog. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, literally, apartheid Albanese, as he should be called. Um, yeah, you, uh, you, I remember you just mentioned it, but. Um, I think he was uh, one of the creators of the Palestinian Student Network. Yep. 
something like that. Um, Labour Friends of Palestine? Oh, yes. Um, and there's videos of him just chanting at these Palestinian rallies and, oh, it's just like, get fucked. Like, I'm sorry. Like, um, it's, it's, yeah, who, yeah, like, who, who is he protecting except the, you know, I guess global imperialism and the colonial boot, but he's old. He's going to die soon. Like, I don't know why. Um, capitalism, I guess. Um, but I'm going to stop talking. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Ethan. Um, and just, I just want to reiterate that I, as someone in this room, um, you know, who's been working with the Black Caucus and seeing the deadly stuff they do, uh, I'm telling you all to go sign up at the back over there. I'm going to keep reiterating it because they've got a banging mailing list and if you're not on it, you're missing out. So, um, Speaking of Western imperialism, I'm going to pass it over to Ahmad. Uh, I'll let you introduce yourself um, and, yeah, have a, have a bit of a yarn about, you know, racism and Western imperialism that, yeah, you want to share. Thank you. When you um, said um, speaking of Western imperialism made me seem like the Western imperialist. <laughs> I'm a tank, I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm Penny Wong in disguise. Assalamu uh, <laughs> alaikum. Um, um, my name's Amen. Um, I'm the daughter of Palestinian um, refugees um, and I live in exile um, and I recognise that I live here and I have the privilege of living here as a settler um, and my mere existence here has been a part of the extension of a settler colonial project um, which has extended violence on my um, First Nations siblings. But I'm always so thankful for you always welcoming me um, in, in the spaces um, I just wanted to reiterate something before I continued was I, I, I was born in 2000, so I was born right at the kind of start of the war on terror. <laughs> I just saw someone realise how young I am. Um, but Ethan's younger, just, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I, I was born at the start of the war on terror. I lived in a um, kind of housing, public housing complex. So I grew up kind of at the core of over-policing um, and systems and structures that were invented and used for First Nations people and that were eventually expropriated to be used in the Arab population. Um, so living in this country, um, and I recognise my privilege of living in this country and obviously living away from war and, and mass poverty that my family does live in back home. But it, at, throughout my whole childhood, I don't think there was ever a moment where as an Arab and as a Muslim um, person you could ever really feel safe. Um, and I would genuinely say that the first, like when I then went on to start university and was in this more kind of diverse space, I had never felt more unsafe. Um, and kind of being back at university at the moment, finishing off my last couple of weeks while this was all happening, um, there, that, that lack of safety is really, really resonates. And um, I feel for a lot of my Indigenous siblings on campus as well in the aftermath of a voice who are facing those same violent systems and structures. Um, but, yeah, so the first time I, I just wanted to reiterate something that Rhonda said was probably one of the first times I felt this really real sense of safety and community was actually organising and being on the ground with First Nations activists like Lizzie. I remember at my first inv Invasion Day rally where I was invited to speak um, in solidarity with Palestine. I think it was the first time in a kind of space you really, you really felt that safety. Um, and because we just we had the shared struggle and the solidarity and 
um, I'll always be thankful for the way um, our Indigenous siblings open arms to us, even though our existence on this country is quite violent and has been used to enact violence. Um, and also, I'll never forget the time us Palestinian youth went down to Nam for a week and it was like one of the best weeks of our lives because I think for the first time yeah, we, we, we got to really have that sense of community and unfortunately in this country which fragments us, we don't get, um, we don't get that sense of safety at all. Um, but I wanted to also pay tribute during this time to Palestinian elders um, in two senses. The ones who've built this movement for us today over the weekend, we, um, despite fighting state suppression for the past, like, three weeks. Um, we had, like, our premier saying, well, you'll never be able to demonstrate. And we're like, we'll show you. We came out with 30,000 people. <laughs> and um, I was told Chris Minns was hanging out in town hall, having a good eye on us. So I hope he, we really showed him that we don't like you or your message and, yeah, you're a bit of a hack. But um, I'm not going to use the words Ethan used. <laughs> Um, But, yeah, and who've really built this movement and who are building it at a time of, like, heightened intensity during the war on terror where building a movement for Palestine was probably one of the most dangerous things you could have done back then Um, and who really created the space and the setting for us to be able to have that popular support, to feel like we can go out and we can go out in the streets and mobilise at a time where every class of every political every angle of the political class and the media class have made us feel like that being gal in the streets was criminal when it was not the criminal actions um, is the actions of our government who are aiding and abetting a genocide right now not the people on the streets um, and I also just wanted to pay tribute to our Palestinian elders who have who lived in exile and and also have come here like fleeing a lot of the violence that they experienced back home. Um, and who right now, seeing what's happening overseas, are being re-traumatised. I think what, especially what I feel, not people from this room, I, I would hope not, but generally from white liberals or from people, you know, in the West, they would say, oh, I've never seen this happen before because, you know, this is just this war against terror and this never happened before. But my dad sits there and he remembers when this happened to him. My dad was a refugee in Jordan. Um, he lived in the refugee camp. I believe it was called Gadama. I always get the camp name wrong, so... If any historians in here, please correct me. But um, and during Black September, um, during uh, the fight against the PLO, which was um, a resistance organisation at the time, um, in an attempt to you know fight the PLO and remove them, they they completely bombed that refugee camp, and the Israeli army went in and and they invaded that camp. And my dad was eight years old at the time, and he he was telling me the other day. My dad doesn't talk about his childhood much, so for him to be talking about it, you can tell he's been very re-traumatised by the past, by the events of the past few weeks. Um, and he tells me that at the time an Israeli soldier, when he was eight years old, had a gun pointed to his head. My dad was obviously eight. He's not a threat to anyone. Um, he's not PLO. Um, but it wasn't because it was a fight against terror or a fight against this group or retribution. It was because my dad was Palestinian. And what we're seeing now is this ongoing genocide against against Palestinians that we've been seeing for 75 years, and it's no different. Um, So I just wanted to, you know, pay my respect and tributes to our elders who probably are feeling a lot of the brunt of it and quite re-traumatised from the violence that they experienced um, in their younger years. Um, Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, something that I did want to talk about was, what, I, I guess, what, why this is happening right now. Not not Israel's actions, we know that, but but our government. I mean, as Ethan mentioned, Albanese, you know, he he started Labour Friends for Palestine. Uh, he claimed to be a supporter of Palestine in 2014. He called what was happening to Gaza, which is happening right now, collective punishment. Um, he condemned the Liberal government for not referring the war, the war crimes in Gaza to the ICC. And now he's aiding and abetting those very war crimes. Um, yeah, and we ask why. Like, people go... Because I hear a lot of people, and disappointingly, say we can change the Labour government from the inside. Or we can lobby the Labour government. We can outdo the lobbyists. But they don't realise that none of this is about conversation. This isn't about going to Albanese and selling your sob story. This isn't about me sitting in the room with Albanese and telling him how my grandparents were expelled from their homes when they're teenagers. They don't care. They know what's going on. And, and they, they, they know deep down inside that something is going, that, that what's going on is wrong. But what Albanese is doing right now is he's no longer this member of parliament who gets to have his activist moment, have his little screaming fight in parliament. He is the leader of imperialism in this country. He is the prime minister and he's the protector of that. So there's the aspect, of course, that we know, which is maintaining the protections of colonial violence in his own country. But what we need to recognise is that Albanese and Penny Wong have been continuing the legacy of the Liberal government in maintaining the war on the Pacific and the imperialist violence in the Pacific um, and the genocide against our brothers and sisters in West Papua. Um, and in order to do that, in order to be able to maintain, you know, with AUKUS and the war on China and maintaining their power in, in that region, they know they need US support and to need US support, they need to be backing them on every move and that includes Israel. So we, we can't be seeing this as the government being, like giving them the benefit of the doubt, being like, oh, they just have too many lobbyists knocking on their door and annoying them. Or, oh, they just don't know enough. Or they, they know. Um, let's, I'm, I'm going to say, if every single member of the Israeli lobby just went to Israel, did their little, did Alia, <laughs> or whatever they like to call it, or just stopped lobbying... The Australian government's position wouldn't change. They would just probably have not as great speeches. <laughs> um, but what we need to recognise is what we're fighting here. This isn't just fighting for the Palestinians. This is about an anti-war, an anti-colonial, an anti-imperialist movement. And that's what we need to be building here. Um, and in order to do that, we, we, need, we, we need to go back to the legacies of, of, of the war, of, of the land rights movement in the 60s, which coincided with... Um, the workers' movement against the war in Vietnam, um, which was quite um, successful and, and is, is, is a very um, well-renowned movement today, and the workers' movement against apartheid in South Africa, because Labour hacks love to say Whitlam was the first Prime Minister to oppose apartheid in South Africa. Whitlam did it because the workers would not get, would, was giving him hell. They would go on strikes day after day. His hands were tied. He had no other option. Um, so I guess I ask couple of things and a couple of calls to action. I'm not going to go on for too long. Um, if there's any members of the Labour Party in this room, just leave the party. Like, you have no reason to be there anymore. <laughs> I've, I've had to have so many ridiculous conversations this week about people talking about changing the party from within. I've heard those conversations for a decade now. How have you been going? There's a genocide happening right now. I don't think we have any more time to change the party from within. It's time to show the Labour government that... We're not going to be supporting you anymore. If you're not supporting us, we're not supporting you. And it's time to just really go militant 
on um, removing their power. And I, and I guess another thing is we need, we need to move out of the electoral sphere. Um, our electoral system is a colonial system. It's a violent system. It's an imperialist system. I'm not saying don't vote. Please vote. <laughs> um, please vote for the Greens. Um, but I'm, 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 I'm saying, like, um, we need to go back to the left, the left's, you know, strong suit. And I ask anyone, I, I hope, uh, are there union members in this room? Uh, so <laughs> that's good. Um, we have, if you jump on our, on our website, Stand With Palestine, or actually, no, go on Facebook. We just made the Facebook page, Trade Unionists for Palestine. Like, Give the page a like, and there's an open letter there. If you haven't signed it, sign it, list your union on. We, we need to go rank and file. Our union leaders are in bed with the Labor Party. We know that. If the Labor, says, if the Labor Party says go left, they'll go left. But they get our power from us as their members. And it's important we go hard on the rank and file and we, we go back to the traditions of the workers' um, movements in this country. Um, on Friday, we're hosting a meeting open for all unionists, for trade unionists for Palestine at the Maritime Union Australia. And we're going to talk about how we can really build some solid people, workers' power on the ground because we might be able to mobilise the streets every, every weekend on a Sunday, but I really want to remind everyone of the Iraq war. We had 500,000 people demonstrate in opposition to the Iraq war and John Howard's response was 500,000 people was not the majority of Australia. So it's not just about mobilising on the streets. It's really important because it shows solidarity. It shows the people aren't with our governments. But we need to have actions that are proven to have results and that's with our unions and with, and with workers' powers as was done in the Vietnam War. So I really encourage people to... Um, like Trade Unionists for Palestine, to sign that letter if you haven't already um, and to join our meeting and to learn from people who will be joining us who were um, solid activists during the Vietnam War, during, anti during anti-apartheid movements in South Africa um, and during the Iraq War to kind of tell us some strategies that we can take um, because it's, I think we're, we're, we're at the point where we're running out of time. There's no more, um, you know like lobbying this government and talking to them and begging them for appeasal or the way our community leaders um, just like are in bed with, the, with, with these people have been so violent with us. Why? Because they want a religious discrimination bill to be able to discriminate on other people. That's why they're there. And then they, they get shocked when Albanese comes out and goes, hey, by the way, I'm a racist and I don't like Palestinians. Um, so... We just can't be in bed with these people anymore and this isn't about shrugging, shrugging um, shoulders with the leaders of empire in the world. Um, it, it's time that the people really show where the power is and it's with us um, and, and that's how we can really achieve a proper movement for the Palestinian people. Thank you, sister. Wow, 23. Fuck. <laughs> Give her another round of applause, man. Fuck. Ethan's 17 and doing his HSC. Like, that's just something else. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like you've been told tonight how to be called to action. You know, these are... Youth, like youth. So it's time for us as community to actually listen to the youth that understand what we need to go forward because we're talking about their legacies to come. 
Like, yeah, we're still going to be here. Trust me, I'm kicking the bucket for a long time yet. But I don't live their struggles today as a 23-year-old hijab Muslim sister. I share her pain. I share her fears. But I really have no in-depth real feeling of how she survives in the outside world when a white fucker like Albanese comes to her circle. So let's listen. And yeah, as I heard like a couple of unionists get all happy. Mobilise your unions. Get there to your meetings. If your unions aren't talking about Palestine, ask them why the fuck not. Mobilise the people. Yeah, fuck yeah. Okay, like you said, we, yeah, I want you all to go email everyone and be a fucking pest, be a fucking troll. That's what we need as well. But if you have power of a union behind you in this room tonight, I expect you to hear from our emailing list that you are mobilising inside your union. Because like I said, I will check who's here. I will be like, you know, ah, you're in a union space, you're doing nothing, why the fuck not? So don't come here and think that you're going to appease us and listen and, oh, the beautiful sister said to do this, go home, pat my... No, fucking do it. And I mean it. Go home and mobilise the people. Mobilise the real workers. Mobilise the power of what we have, what you have as Australian citizens to stop this fucking genocide happening. As we've said, the language, war. War is to be sit down with the two little king cunts and let's have a conversation about we're going to go to war. That's not happening. It never happened here and it never happened in Palestine. This is really not, you know, war. This is straight out terrorism. Straight out sanctioned imperialism terrorism. Let's call it for what it is. Let's not give the government everyone say, oh, they're at war. No, this is not war. This is inhumane genocide that's being conflicted all over the world by colonial states. So let's get together as people of our power and let's build and build and build and tell all these fuckers that we won't, we won't, no, maybe, maybe we won't vote for you. How about that? Imagine we all boycotted the next fucking election. What would they do? Vote themselves in? Yeah, probably. <laughs> but, you know, reality works. Like the, re- the reality of our p- power. Like, you know, they make us, oh, well, for us mobs, fucked. This birth certificate shit. This citizenship shit. They make us a number. So let's use our numbers to depreciate their numbers and say, if you're going to be our leader, you must listen to the people on the ground. You must listen to your unions. You must listen to your students. Because if they're not fucking listening, why are we voting for them? Why are we leaving them in that power space? So let's turn the narrative back to what we know works. Let's put our people, power, our voice, our voices, not the voice, our voices out there and be heard for our Palestinian brothers and sisters right now. Um, yeah, wait there. I always got these pox little notes. Oh, they're not pox, but yeah. Okay, while I'm on the mic, tomorrow night, at the 80 Road Centre. Anyone know where the 80 Road Centre is? If you don't, you're not a local. If you, if you don't, look it up because it's a great space like this Red Rattler that holds a lot of good things for community. The 80 Road Centre, it's on Addison Road. Obviously, that's why it's called the 80 Road Centre. Right. But, yeah, 6.30 tomorrow night at the Kashari Corner. There is another Solidarity Palestinian event. Jeez. Uh, another night of strength. 
It's just, yeah, it says come together for foods, arts, activities and comfort, which is really what we need to right now, okay? It's all good to get riled up. It's all good to be powerful. It's all good to be loud like I am. But also we need to make sure we have the sustainability of mental health and self-care and the respect for others that are struggling in them circles right now. So another thing I call to you to action, if you have First Nations family, friends, neighbours, if you have Palestinian, Muslim, anyone that looks brown right now, check on them. I mean check on them. Not this, are you okay day shit. I mean check on them. Are you okay, my sister? Not, are you okay? Oh, there's a, there's a mental health line for you. Fuck that. Like, are you okay, my sister? Because if you're not, I got you. And if I don't got you, we all got her. Have we got them or what? Right, okay. All right, then I'll let it pass it on. You're going to introduce. Yeah, time for the next speaker and I'm shutting up. Was perfect. Um, Not sure what could be said after all of this. I just want to say how grateful I am to be in this space, um, to be on, um, to be so welcomed on Gadigal land. And I want to echo um, what Randa has said. Um, it feels so right and so safe. Um, so many of us are in different spaces doing talks and events, and it's never safe, it's never comforting, it's never nurturing. Um, and this is exactly the opposite. I think we need that. Um, and I'm really grateful um, being here and being with our Aboriginal siblings and First Nations. And it's It's not coincidence that we feel so comfortable. My parents were um, just visiting from Palestine in the last few weeks and they left yesterday. And it didn't take them long to understand what was happening here. I mean, the first time they went somewhere and they saw the multicultural celebration of Aboriginal culture, my dad said, what is this bullshit, right? Like they celebrated and they still are enacting genocide. And, you know, he doesn't know the context. He just got it from just seeing it. Um, And I think that one of the... I do want to talk about Gaza. I know we all know what is happening there. And, yes, it's genocide. We're watching genocide and we are helpless. And there are no words, even genocide, that can really capture the sheer horror of what is happening there. Over 6,000 dead. It's even more than that now. Almost 2,000 under the rubbles. Over 800 of them are children. Thousands of children are dead. We mourn everyone. Children, women, 
and men, they are victims too. There is no fuel. This is not, there is the last bulldozer in Gaza is not working. It means people are still under the rubble. Israel is still refusing to let fuel into Gaza. It means no hospitals. Hospitals are not functioning. I know we all know that, but we need to say it again and again and again because it is horrifying. And what is more horrifying is the absolute, not complicity, but orchestrated Western genocide that is happening in Gaza. It's not just Israel. There are Americans in Israel's war room. They're launching this war together, this genocide together. And this is a whole new step or uh, stage. There's always been a Western backup, but we really, I want to emphasize it, we're seeing an orchestrated Western genocide. This is what it is. It's not just Israel. And I have to remind myself every time I, you know, I ask myself, what is the red line? When is this going to stop? Is there a red line? And unfortunately, it seems there is no red line, not when it comes to Palestinians. The dehumanization is unbelievable. Israeli children seen worthy of life, subjects of life. Our job is to die. This is how we are seen. It's numbers. It's not people with stories. Not people with life, with families, communities. All this, all this get lost. But the one thing that is happening is that actually people with Palestine around the world are the majority. They are the majority. Millions in the street, in Everywhere, in the Middle East, in Latin America, in here in so-called Australia, in Turtle Island, in different African countries, in Latin America, everywhere, everywhere. And that will mean something, and it's not coincidence that people are with us. Most of the people of the world have been colonized or still are colonized. They understand, they know. When they see what is happening in Palestine, they know what it is. They feel that it's happening to them. They know the story. It's part of their history. It's part of our history. And Still, and I think I'm constantly trying to think through this moment. And, you know, I'm an academic. 
And this has been the first time that I cannot write. I cannot write. I'm not managing to find the words to capture this moment. And then I saw this uh, piece by Ahmad al-Mallah, who's a Palestinian from Bethlehem. He was actually writing about this, how words is failing him, you know, as a poet. And, you know, he wrote, I, I took very short bit of what he wrote, and he was, Gaza, Gaza, Gaza. This is the only word that does not fail me now, Gaza. I want to etch it on every part of my body. All other words keep failing and failing to my left and right. Sorry, keep falling and falling to my left and right. A heap of empty gestures. And I know that we all, despite this moment, there is resistance. Even in Gaza, there is resistance. And we know that we all, Palestinians and our First Nation siblings, we resist and we persist and we do it every day. It's survival and it is survivance. But when can we stop resisting, please? When can we just live? When can we not be bombarded to death, tortured under custody? When can we just live? Yes, we resist, but can we get a break? So, no words. They keep failing me. I'm grateful for the space. And just let's, going back to the action, let's now keep the focus on Gaza. I know a lot of things are happening, but we are watching a genocide and it is, you know, it's horrifying. So let's keep talking about Gaza, Gaza, Gaza. Oh. Well, thank you, everyone, for showing your respects and opening your eyes, mind, ears and hearts. Now it's um, interaction time. Like, we don't just bring you here to listen to us. We actually want to make sure you've listened. So we want to know that, firstly, anyone on the panel have questions for either siblings before we open it to the audience? I mean, I, yeah, I had a question that I really wanted to sort of tease out tonight, which was, like, I mean, all eyes are on Gaza right now and, and really as they should be, right? Um, but we're also seeing, like, we're seeing Israel and settlers really take advantage of that. Um, so if anybody would like to speak to, you know, what we're seeing unfolding in the West Bank as well, I think that's really important to highlight right now if anybody would like to speak to it. Um, so before October 7, um, it was the deadliest, it was one of the deadliest years for Palestinians in the West Bank. 
Um, and throughout the year, like myself and Aranda and other organisers were actually organising actions in solidarity with the people of Janin and people in the Rest Bank starting all the way back from January to now. Um, and then over the past week we've seen um, increase of people, of, Pal of Palestinians being taken into custody um, in Israel um, as political prisoners in arbitrary detention. But we've also seen an increase of settlers. Um, they were enacting settler violence throughout the year and killing Palestinians. Um, and we've seen them take advantage of the fact that all eyes are on Gaza, take advantage of the fact of the West Bank. Let's be clear, Hamas isn't in the West Bank. The West Bank is controlled, is occupied by Israel and governed by the Palestinian Authority, the same Palestinian Authority that um, Israel has been saying they want to be placed into Gaza now. Um, Mahmoud Abbas, who's like the leader of the Palestinian Authority, is probably one of the most compliant leaders in Israeli history. And with that, Palestinians, settlers still kill. Palestinians. With that, the areas still occupied. With that, we have political prisoners being placed in illegal, arbitrary detention every day. And with that, we still have apartheid. So I think it's important to recognise and see to, to see this as um, this genocide and this war against Palestinians is not limited to Gaza. Um, it's impacting Palestinians in every single corner of Palestine, in the occupied West Bank, and also. Um, in occupied historic Palestine, what we now know as Israel, um, where they've literally, like, treated every Palestinian as the other, as the security threat, and proceeded to arrest them for, for, for absolutely no reason other than being Palestinian. Um, so I think that's a really important context to put it as. Number one, it was the deadliest year on record for Palestinians. That was before October 7. Now, it's definitely the deadliest year on record for Palestinians. Um, and now in the West Bank, we've seen that increase in settler violence. We have the state arming settlers and giving them arms as if Palestinians are some threat. Um, and, yeah, this is in the context of an area that's not governed by Hamas. This is the context of an area that they that they want to mimic and turn Gaza into. So we know that after all of this, for the white liberals who think this is some fight against terrorism, these terrorists who are the ones harming the Palestinians or who are ones causing horror for Palestinians, they're not in the West Bank. Palestinians are still facing violence. So I think that's a really important point to make. Um, and it's the way the the media framing of this in every instance is always, um, you know, Israel versus Hamas. And the, the fact that the only time that we are ever afforded any opportunity to speak in the media is during sort of the hot violence of so-called clashes um, where an Israeli is harmed, where a settler is harmed. That is when the world, when the media, when politicians suddenly take notice. That is when they want to talk about what is happening there, but always within a very limited frame, which is to privilege the analytics, the language, the lives of the settler. And this is across the board in every single media interview. We are first asked to condemn resistance by the occupied, by the bombed, by the colonised. That usually results in a power struggle over the entire framing of the media interview, over the entire framing of the discussion about the optics of what is happening there because no journalist, no politician is ever able to answer the question about, well, Hamas is not in the West Bank, Hamas is not in the refugee camps, Hamas is not in um, so-called Israel as a second-class citizen. They're not interested in that context at all. 
And we have to constantly deal with the rhetoric of Israel has a so-called right to exist, um, as if there's this existential threat and trying constantly to push back to ask who is Israel, what is Israel, what is the nature of this state that you are defending. It is a state that can only sustain itself if it ethnically cleanses and demographically engineers a matrix of racism and discrimination and depopulation and ethnic cleansing. And the amazing thing about Israel is that it isn't ashamed of its tactics or its agenda. It is open about its genocidal plans. It is absolutely proud to display what it's doing. And it does that with impunity because the West allows it to. And I read... Um, on a Facebook post, some idiot Muslim saying, what about, what about um, the rest of the people suffering in the world? Why is it always the Palestinians? And it was just so symptomatic of this failure to understand. We're not sitting here saying that we're special or we're exceptional. We're sitting here saying that the violence and the lethal regimes of violence and structures of violence that are being used against Palestinians have been used against First Nations peoples and will be used against you. We are the testing laboratory. They are battle testing the weapons that will be used against you. The, as you said before, the, the training that happens um, against, you know, in, in America, you know, with cops to, you know, to, and results in um, the brutality against African-Americans there. They are trained by Israeli soldiers. All of these structures are global structures and so it's, we're not saying that we're special. We're saying that we are all fighting the same enemy and this is what we're constantly having to repeat because it's people just constantly think that we are trying to steal the spotlight here as the victims. It's such a warped idea, this kind of hierarchy of suffering. It has nothing to do with that. It's about understanding we have no chance unless we are engaged in joint struggle unless we understand that we're all fighting the same enemy. We might be experiencing the victimisation in different ways, but we are fighting the same enemy. And what's happening in Gaza, it, it, it has shown within two weeks what power will do when it is pushed. And we can see here, it will literally incinerate children. It will produce body bags of parts. It will have... Over 2,000 children killed. Like, how is the fuck is this happening and no one, why is the world still allowing this to happen? Why is everyone walking around as if it's just another day? I don't understand. And if people don't understand, they will come after your children too. Because if they can do this so easily, then what is your life worth? You will not... Be saved. Your whiteness will not save you in the end. Your proximity to whiteness will not save you in the end. If, it is, if you are dispensable in the end, what will it take? What will it take for universities to understand that there was a student, for example, on Twitter last week. This is the story that broke me. There's always one story that happens. You hear and you see the stories of babies. You see all of this and then there's just one story. You don't know why. I was on Twitter with my um, sister and there was a, a story of a young um, Palestinian student from Gaza who had a scholarship to study a Master's in International Relations in Australia. And he, his family, his mother, his 
sister, brother, father and him were killed in an airstrike. And I, I went to look at his profile and all I saw was follow back. So he'd started following me. I don't know why that broke me, but it did. And then I thought, why aren't universities here doing something? One of their students who had a scholarship, they should be shutting this university system down. Instead, they're producing articles about decolonisation. Instead, they're getting citations and doing their acknowledgements and doing their beautiful Indigenous produced stationery with Macquarie University and Sydney University on it. Are we living in a twilight zone? Yeah, we are. We are. And look, what is it going to take? I know that it takes people, but I'm sorry, but we're just at a loss at the moment to know what it was going to take. Sister, I'm not sure what it's going to take either, but every step that you take, we're with you. We'll find a way, won't we? We will find a way because people are the power. We are the people. We need to take back our power. We need to give these sisters and brothers and all them families over there everything we have, everything we have because just listen to how easily... Life is just taken away and as we said, we're turning on our TVs and watching it. TV's not even allowed on my, in my, not allowed at my house right now. Radio, no. Because as nephew said, like, you know, people might say it's jumping on a bandwagon, but it's just not. The solidarity is real. The trauma, the trauma, the intergenerational trauma that we are living from my ancestors, ancestors, ancestors that I've never met. But right now they're coming through so strong because I'm watching people lose everything, everything. Hospital, like why is the Western world that tells us they're so great and their way is the way that we all need to be doing this? Because this is their structure. This is what they're here for. That's why when people say to me, oh, you know, the system's broken, get fucked. The system's working perfectly. So how about, you know, how about like the other beautiful sister said, let's persist. Let's resist. And let's make sure our brothers and sisters can continue to fucking exist. Because it's on us. It's not on them. You hear the pain. You've witnessed it. You see it. So you want to help alleviate it? Do something. And I mean actually do something. Get together, mobilise from universities, from unions, from your workplaces, from your schools, wherever you are. From your community, if you don't even have any these big backings. From your local little community to your neighbours. Like I said, it's a changing it's a changing of language and structure to make sure people understand that we will not tolerate this in here. We will not tolerate this on stolen First Nations land. We will not tolerate Australia condoning and closing their eyes to the brutalisation and massacres and genocide of our innocent brothers and sisters. Because as we've said, they they might not massacre us anymore because there's fuck all of us left. But they're mass incarcerating us and they're killing us off as they can as numbers. Deaths in custody, stealing our children, blowing up our fucking land. It's poisoning our waters. 
So the genocide is still relevant here. That's why our solidarity is always true, always strong. This is not a show. This is not something to come and, oh, great job, fuck off. It's time for you mob to do a great job. It's time for, you know, let, have a rest. But yet we can't. Because as soon as we rest, then everyone else gets a slack. Oh, well, they're not doing anything, so I don't need to do anything anymore. Yes, you fucking do. You need to stand up, step up, speak up. You need to be with us on the front lines. You need to be the bodyguards to protect us. Because, yeah, this is really, like, until you really understood the trauma of genocide, it's hard to really understand the parallel of what we're feeling. But I understand in this room, I know so many beautiful faces that I know really do respect what we're saying. So I thank you because I know that you're going to go out there and you're going to give it your all, aren't you? What? Far out, come on. Nah. But anyway, yeah, back to Q&A time. Anyone in the crowd has questions? Can I, can oh, I, I just wait one no. well, Sorry, sorry. Um, no, no, sorry. I just think it's really important that people know that um, Australian media are recycling overseas stories about what's happening in Palestine and that's problematic for us because, sorry, I know, I mean, this is just really important for people to know when organising is that we need the media to be used, to use as power and if they're not showing local stories and local reactions, the politicians and the policymakers are not getting the stories. And so we need Australian media to tell our stories and what's happening on our streets as well because they need to know, you know, the mass, um, the mass movements that we're building. Um, another thing I think is really important, um, you know, being right is not enough and we can see that because Albanese knows. He fears power and losing his position. And so saying what's right isn't enough, saying what the stats are isn't enough. It's organising strategically groups to undermine his power. And, and we can only have power as collectives. And so that's the work that we have to do is move in collectives, build our movements and build the collectives and um, undermine the power of you know, Anthony Albanese and make him afraid for his job and his position, not to tell him what we think is right. He doesn't care about what's right and wrong. That's obvious. He needs to be afraid of us and he's not going to do that unless we make it known and organise in masses. Any... Anybody with the respect and like a bit of, you know, have a question from the audience? Do you have a moment? No? Okay, well, that's maybe a good thing. You know, let it all sink in. Let it soak in. Oh, wait, there, I can't see. See, I will please come towards the light because I'm blinded. First of all, I just wanted to extend my deepest condolences. I can't even imagine what this must feel like for First Nations communities right now and the Palestinian community right now. I did want to ask about some of the imagery and the footage that is coming out of Palestine right now 
obviously we're all aware that it is incredibly confronting. How I feel like what what I've been trying to negotiate is, you know, how do Palestinian communities feel about the fact that this footage is out there and it's remaining out there? What is our role in raising awareness in either, like, disseminating this footage or being careful about what we share? Like, yeah. Um, I might have a... Di- I think we might have different views on this and I think that's OK. Um, my view on it is that the media is 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 propagating what's happening and they're lying um, and... With, with social media and with this footage, it's, it's very distressing. That's the thing I need to start it on. But it's much more distressing to be the ones experiencing it. Um, it's much more... It's I've seen, you know, white people go, oh, I don't want to see that, you know, content warning. And, you know, white liberals who sit in their little home and sit in their little bloody $900 a week apartment, like, piss off. Because um, it's much more distressing to have a bomb on your head. Um, and I think it's our responsibility that we are all bear witnessing this genocide. Um, and I'm not trying to, I'm not going to get too religious here, but I think this is a very powerful thing that does come from our religion, um, which is um, for us on the day of resurrection or on the day of judgment, our eyes, our hands will all testify for us. Our organs will testify for us. And this is something, our eyes, what we see, what we do with this information, what we do with this knowledge, it will testify for us. This body footage has been provided for us with Palestinians because they want to show you what is happening. We are bear witnessing to this. It is uncomfortable. It is meant to be uncomfortable. It's not meant to be, uncom- it's not meant to be comfortable to see an act of genocide. But imagine experiencing it. So I, 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 I really want to put the wellness talk aside for a second because it's the colonial wellness liberal talk because that's all been developed so we can not talk about what's happening, not show what's happening. So I think the way that we do need to frame it is that it's distressing to see it, imagine experiencing it, imagine knowing that leaders around the world are seeing this and they're um, green-lighting it to happen. So I think we need to ensure that this con- as this content gets censored by Instagram, like Ion Palestine was one of the biggest networks on the ground reporting what happened and they got sent- they, they, their account got banned. We need to continue bearing witness to what is happening and, and showing and telling the stories. Other sister, want to answer on that one? Okay. Uh, sorry, you gonna... No, I'm just asking. Anyone? Anybody else yeah. want to answer anything? Okay. Uh, yes, brother. No, uh, first and foremost, in like the same vein as this discussion about the Murdoch media empire and the misinformation and how that deeply underpins the white attitudes to this situation, thank you all so fucking much for coming here and helping us wade through that and navigate it. Like, that is such an important service right now, and I appreciate that a lot. So in that same vein, I want to know where each and every single one of you gets your news and how you get it on everything, not just Palestine. Like, that's a very deep question, you know, but a basic overview of your process of how you wade through the disinformation and... Who, what, what exact news sources you would like all of us in this room to start engaging and to tell our white peers who spread misinformation from the colony, no, that's bullshit and this is why. So, 
Get your notebooks out, everybody. You're going to write these down. I think, like, just to see what's happening on the ground, Eye on Palestine has always been just a great, great source. It's off Instagram now, but you can follow them on Telegram. Um, so be sure to do that. Um, another thing is, I forgot the name, but I'll grab it in a minute. But it's like, I think it's Mutaz something, and he's been reporting a lot of what's been happening on the ground in Gaza. Um, I think Murdoch Media was mentioned. It's not just Murdoch Media, it's every media. I was, I had an interview with like ABC last week and it was the most violent interview I've ever had in my life. Uh, yeah, I, I was asked, you know, how if I understand how Jewish community feels. I was never asked about Palestinian communities, so, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, and, and the ABC, like, I think they removed their journalist from Israel who called out Israeli propaganda. So it's not just the Murdoch Media, it's everyone. Um, it's everyone who serves who serves this colony. Um, I also like I don't know like if someone disagrees with me, like let me know. But I really like Al Jazeera. Um, I think they're one of the only news channels that actually like got people on the ground in Gaza. Like the thing about Western media is they're, they're chilling in little offices in Tel Aviv. They have no one in Gaza. Um, Al Jazeera. No, no, I was in the Western media. Yeah, um, and I mean they they're just. They're on the ground. They're not biased. Um, um, so I, I think that's some really good people to follow. And I think just, um, you know, follow people on Twitter who are saying they're from Gaza, they're from the West Bank, and they're giving you live accounts of, of what's happening because that's really important. And, like, weirdly enough, some Israeli news channels have, like, been a bit more honest than, like, the ABC. I always find that a bit funny. But, yeah. <laughs> if I can, yeah, if I can answer this as well. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got, you know... Channels that are pretty good. Um, I think the New Arab is a good source of media analysis. Um, Middle East Eye is not too bad. Um, Kuds and Kuds Network English. Um, Kuds means Jerusalem, so Q U Gaza now as well. Um, Resistance News Network. Put this in the mailing list. Like we should do a list. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so right, remember I told you what to do? That's our homework. Yeah. We'll do it for you. Our homework to you, Mom, to sign on, you will get that information sent out to you. Yeah, no worries, brother. Thank you for the question. And on a personal note, sorry, sis. On a personal note for me, right, where I get my media from, if I know it's like real and whatever, check your community. Check in with the people you know. Now you've met and heard us. Follow us on socials if you need to. If you're not already, why aren't you? Like, you know? Trust your community people. They will be the ones sharing truth. And do not fucking trust Western fucking bullshit misinformation media. Come on, we're more clever than that. Check in your communities. I just want to say um, the media are actually really complicit and so don't see them as a separate mechanism to what's happening. So... That's how I see it. I can see the framework and that's through understanding how colonialism is. It's the, um, it's the permission, the media is the, how they get the permission from the masses to commit genocide. The ABC did it to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, uh, sorry, just Aboriginal people in the Northern Territory intervention. They made up a story about pedophile rings and so... I follow trusted scholars, activists that I know personally, and that's about relationship building and relationality. 
Um, but don't trust any media, independent media all the way, all independent media and, you know, government media like Israel, America and Australian government media um, are literally sending money and troops over there to kill Palestinians. And so they're going to, that's the, um, that's how uh, they're going to use their media arm in order to give themselves permission to do that. And so it's part of the mechanism. Yep. Well, um, I just say one thing. Um, I was trying to pull up the statistics, but I didn't manage to. But I just want to say, I want to echo about Al Jazeera. So I speak um, Arabic, Hebrew, and obviously I have English as my third language. Um, so I get my news from Arabic sources, Hebrew sources, because it's important to know what the colonizer is bullshitting. Um, and uh, English sources, um, Al Jazeera being the prime one. Um, and I have to say that uh, because I'm following all these different uh, uh, networks, Al Jazeera has been, I have to admit, the most reliable network. Everything that they have reported, and they know they're under close eye, so they're very, very careful, has been later verified by either Israel or Palestinians. Uh, they're on the ground. And here I just, I, the reason I took the mic is I want to pay really a tribute to all the journalists on the ground who died. And it's a large number. I'm sorry, I don't have it, but it's a large number. And today, especially to Al Jazeera, Arabic correspondents in Gaza who has been doing amazing work, Wa'il al who during, while being on air, got the news that his wife and his kids were killed, were bombarded to death. So journalists are paying real price and just want to express my deep gratitude to all of those who are on the ground. And I'm sure, and again, especially to Al Jazeera correspondents today who lost his wife and kids. Hi, um, my name's uh, Violette Ayad. I'm Palestinian and Lebanese and like most Palestinians, I have family in Gaza at the moment, or like a lot of Palestinians. And so I really echo the the things that you said, Renda, today about like, I, and I think somebody else said it as well, about the inability to focus in the last couple of weeks and how just intense that is. But at the same time, I'm, I'm currently employed by a leading arts organisation, by a leading theatre company, and I'm part of my union there. And I guess for the sake of clarity for myself but for everyone else in this room, I want to kind of play dumb for a second. What am I asking them when I go to the union and when I go to my workplace? What do I need to be asking them? Um, so, first of all, you're welcome to our meeting on Friday, which we'll be detailing a lot of that, more detail than I can give you in 30 seconds. Um but when we're talking about the rank and file, first and foremost, it's mobilising your fellow union members um, on the ground uh, to have your unions oppose um, oppose um, 
the genocide in Gaza, calling for a ceasefire, calling for the end of the occupation, saying it how it is and not par parroting um, like the talking points. The second thing I noticed, you're from an arts organisation. So I'm going to try to tailor this to art and I think Rhonda can talk about this a bit more. A lot of art organisations sometimes find themselves complicit um, in, the in the genocide, for example, two years ago. Uh, I don't even know if it was two years ago, but time is so much, but we had the Sydney Festival... Um, which was being funded by the Israeli embassy and we mobilised and we organised and we had so many artists withdraw and, and leave um, that and I kind of want to chase up some of the artists who didn't see what they're saying right now. Uh, <laughs> like that just reminded me, I'm a bit petty sometimes, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it's, it's doing stuff like that and working with them, like mobilising, like start a contingent in your union. Um, I don't know what, what's... The, I'm just going to call it the art union because I don't know what's... MEAA for Palestine. I'm sure there's a lot of journalists in the MEAA and I'm sure they have a lot of mobilising to do to get, um, you know, their elite leadership to, you know, to step in line. Because I've, I've spoken, it's really ironic because you speak to journalists privately and then you speak to them on the show and on the show it's quite violent or they're forced to ask, you know, the, do you support Hamas question and all this sort of stuff. Um, or they, they, they pre-record you and then half of the stuff that you said is not included in. But then they admit that, oh, we're, we don't, we, we support you guys. We're just, um, what's it called? We're under pressure by our execs or whatever. So that's what we need. We need kind of the, because these media organisations or these art organisations, they don't exist without you guys. Um, and I think it's time to kind of get together with, with your fellow artists, start that MEMA for Palestine um, and see what kind of actions you guys can do that's very specific to your organisations and their certain complicity um, within all of this. Also because, um, like in my experience, there's no more violent space than the progressive space that masquerades as progressive, but when pushed to actually explicitly condemn genocide is suddenly asking for nuance, you know, like it's um, – and those – I'm petty as well. You have to be as, a, as an activist. So we just did a statement um, calling on artists to sign to sign on and the, the purpose of that is to give people a chance actually to publicly express their support for Palestinians and to condemn what's happening but also to weed out the hypocrites and we will go after them the next time they – you know, tweet some stupid gesture to pretend that they're progressive because the progressive except Palestine and, and you would know them very well um, in, in Indigenous spaces as well, they profit off of your stories, your trauma, they create big fat CVs, they get the funding and the grants and it is all just bullshit. And so those kinds of statements where you are forcing somebody to put their name publicly to a cause... Um, is a really good way of finding out who your real allies are and who your enemies are. Um, I just want to thank everybody. Sorry, just one more thing. I think it's also really important when you do those statements, name the name Israel but also the person with power in that too. So use them against people who have power. Because that's how you shift the power. Um, thanks you to every single one of our panellists um, here today. I want to thank Ethan, 
Marie, Mariki, um, I'm going to get to you, um, Lana, Amal and Rondo. Thank you so much for being here at this time. Like this is honestly, I, I, I don't know how I'm functioning. I don't know how you're functioning. Um, and I certainly don't know how you're functioning right now. And I just want to really give a very, very special thank you to Lizzie because Lizzie was meant to be a panellist tonight. Um, and in the true meaning of solidarity, like, if you know me, you know I can't shut up. And these past two weeks, like, I just can't even speak. So thank you. Well, that brings us to a close for now. But you've all got homework, yeah? And are you going to follow through or are you going to get detention and get suspended from my fucking school? We're going to follow through. Right, that's right. So you know at the back there's a QR code. If you're not on our Black Caucus emailing list, go out there, put your little phone over, take a photo, give us your details so we can get in contact with you. Because understand, what we need right now is community contact. We need to tell this fucking government that we will not sit silent like they are. So if you're, you know, I mean it. Like we need to actually put our bodies, our minds, our platforms, our privileges on the line right now to try and make real fucking change. Real change. And ah, speaking of change, my brain again. Remember, donate to the Red Rattler so we can keep holding space like this because it comes from community power. Otherwise, I'd like to say thank you all. Thank you to my beautiful mob. And my other folk, we're all mob here. That's what I mean. Solidarity is family. We are all siblings here, whether we're from Palestine, Gaza, whether we're from Nam, whether we're from Marajui, Gumbangia. We are family here. So you are privileged to be a part of our family. So make sure you don't let your family down, yeah? Make sure you go out there and put your heart, put your everything you need to do, what we've asked you to do tonight. Go out there and do it. And then when we call you back next... Sunday. Everyone had one on their seats. So you got no excuse not to be there. And guess what? Don't come alone. Bring a friend. Bring a neighbour. Bring a union. I was getting there. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Come up here on my job. Nah. Bring a union contingent. Bring, bring, bring every fucking body. Everybody and anybody. I want to see you all there. We probably have this better there, yeah? Right? So you want to be with us? Find that banner. But anyway, even if you don't find us, be there. Be there. Go and take a photo of this, put it all over your socials. Make sure all your friends and everyone else is going to be there. Huh? Right? Oh, okay. Um, but otherwise, please get home safely. Please look after yourselves because tonight, although it's big for us, it's, it's hard for you mob too and we respect that. So please go home and give yourself a little bit of self-care and a moment to reflect back on what you've heard tonight without too much pain. Although the reality is the pain's not going to go away if you have a real heart and you're thinking about what we're going through right now. But please take care of yourselves because we need you in this fight. We need you for a revolution. We need you for change. So take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Donate to Red Rattler. Go and do that QR code. And we'll be emailing you very soon. Thank you very much. Yeah.